The following content is provided to you as a ministry of Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters, a high adventure Christian wilderness camp in Andrews, North Carolina. Snowbird Wilderness Outfitters exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ through the exposition of scripture and personal relationships in order to equip the church to impact this generation. For more information, visit our website at swoutfitters.com or follow us on Twitter using the handle at SnowbirdSwo. Enjoy the message. Amen. Good to see everybody. Y'all, it's the funniest youth pastor game I ever watched in my life. Ever. Congratulations, you made history. Thank you to all the youth pastors that were in that. You guys were phenomenal. Y'all were so funny watching y'all act that stuff out. That game's a keeper. We're going we're gonna to do that every weekend now. <clears throat> it's the first time we've ever done it. Ah, I need a sip of coffee. Because I work in youth ministry and I'm almost 50 years old. I've lost my mind. What am I thinking? Any other old people feel that way sometimes? <laughs> like, what in the world am I doing? I love youth ministry, though. Here's a lot of guys, will, uh, they'll go into youth ministry, and it's kind of like a, to build experience so that they can go in, like, big church. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I'm, I'm blessed. I get to preach in big church a lot. And even at my church, I'm the, one of the gifts of my week is getting to teach and preach at church on Sunday. But, and I get to travel. Last weekend, I was preaching uh, at a church, a big church, and the weekend before I was at a church in big church, and, and they were big old churches, man, big old, two weeks ago I was in a big old church, I felt like I was in the Pope's Cathedral or something, it had this big old pipe organ, y'all know what that is, it had about a million, a bazillion pipes going up behind it like this, and, and I loved that, and, but this morning I was, it was dark in my house, I was putting my boots on, because I'm, I'm a mountain man, I wear boots all the time in my sleep if I could, and, uh, and I was thinking, man, that was awesome getting to preach to those people in that big old church with that pipe organ. But I'm more excited to go preach to these students this morning. It's just like I'm passionate about it. You know, like I love student ministry. So open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, my favorite book of the Bible. Romans 12 is a chapter we're going to be in. My favorite chapter in the book of Romans is chapter 8. We will not be there this morning, but 12 is a good one. Or as they say around here, it's a good one. Romans chapter 12. It's really familiar, really familiar. You probably will have heard this this passage, these two verses. Okay, it says this. This is the word of the Lord. Romans 12, verse 1. If you hadn't found it, that's fine. Just keep getting over there. We'll also have it on the screen. Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you. So appeal means I urge. Like, so, so anytime you see a word like I urge you or I entreat you, there's, a, there's another word that sometimes is in the Bible, the word entreat. It's kind of a funny word. Appeal to you. Think about uh, somebody who commits murder and they get sentenced to death. In most states, if not all states, there's an automatic appeal process. What does that appeal mean? It means they're going to a higher court and urging them, begging them not to put them to death. So that's what it means to appeal. So when, when in Romans 12, 1, when it says, I appeal to you, it's I urge you, I beg you. And I think when, we, when we're talking about uh, the topic and the subject of this, that, that we've been on this weekend, think about uh, how many moms that my wife and I have counseled just recently working with two different moms this school year whose, wi- uh, whose, <laughs> whose wives, whose daughters had fallen into 
sexual relationships. They were younger girls manipulated by older boys. And working through this thing with, with some moms here at camp that were here saying, I don't know what to do. And these moms, both of them that we worked through this with, had had experiences where when they were teenagers, they had gone down a path of sexual promiscuity. And so they know the pain and the damage that it causes to your soul and your heart. So now these ladies are in their, I don't know, 30s, 40s, maybe, and, the, and their daughters are going down that same path. And they're scared to death because they know the pain and the suffering that it causes long term. And so they're appealing. They're begging their daughters. They've gone past like commanding them not to, not to do this. They've gone past like enforcing the rules or the laws of the house. And they're at the point where they're, they're saying, please don't do this. It will cause pain in the long run. You'll be, you'll be dealing with the repercussions of this when you're 30 and 40 and 50. And last night we looked at the beauty of God's grace and forgiveness and he takes your shame. He takes your guilt. But man, you still, you always got to wrestle and fight through that. Fight through that. So I appeal to you. Paul appeals to you this morning to do this God's way. It's an appeal. It's an urging. It's a begging. It's a pleading. Many of you have gone down that path. And I want to tell you this morning before we go on that God will fill your soul with renewal He'll heal your heart. He'll give you a new mind. He'll give you a new focus. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. So I appeal to you. I urge you. Paul urges us. God, through his word, urges us. So I want you to listen. This is going to be a very encouraging thing to hear this morning. I appeal to you, therefore. Okay, so in the Bible, when we see the word therefore, it's, it's connecting something we've already talked about. So it's like saying, so based on what we just talked about, let me now appeal to you. Well, what we've just talked about is 11 chapters of the richest, deepest, widest, tallest, strongest, most powerful 11 chapters of Scripture you could imagine reading. It's not like one part of the Bible is stronger than another part. It's just all strong. But it is powerful, powerful Scripture that, that basically tells us all that we need to know about who God is. All that we need to know about salvation in the Christian life. So based on all of that, based on who we know God to be, he's just, he's righteous, but he's merciful and he's loving. And based on everything we know about him, in fact, listen to how the, the previous three verses go. So he says, therefore, I appeal to you, therefore, therefore what? Based on what we just said, let's just look at the last three verses, last four verses rather, of chapter 11, verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So he's saying, based on the richness of what God's done, based on the depth of God's love, all that God's done for us, based on all those things, I want to now make an appeal to you. Based on the fact that God loves you and that there's riches to that love. Sometimes, you know, we, 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 have, we, we view riches or value in different ways. When I was, uh, so I'm the oldest of eight kids. And uh, there was five in my mom's first marriage. And then three, my mom and my stepdad. And so... Uh, so like Zach, the worship pastor here, um, who is first cousins with Luther, the guy that led the game, um, uh, Zach is married to my, one of my sisters from my mom's second marriage, 
Um, so anybody from a blended kind of weird family, like it's like confusing just to show up at a cookout? Okay, good. All right, yeah, so I'm, I'm from one of those families. Just like, now who's that person? Well, we're related on two sides, but also somebody got married and circled back in. It's kind of weird. It's, we're mountain people. Don't ask questions, you know. Like, and so, uh, so uh, I got this one sister who is uh, from my mom's first marriage, but she's not my, uh, yeah, 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 from my mom's first marriage. It's confusing. All right, so anyway, when I went off to college, uh, when I was 18 years old, I left home and I never went back home. And my, that sister was, she's 10 years younger than me. So she was, she was like second, third grade, something like that. I think it was second grade. And she get, she sent me in the mail a dollar. Okay. Like $1. All right. And, and I took that dollar. Well, guess what? I didn't spend that dollar. I put that dollar in my Bible and it meant a lot to me for years and years and years and years. And when she got married, so that would have been like in 1990, she got married in 2003, and on her wedding day, I wrote her a letter and gave her that dollar. Well, that dollar's only worth a dollar. Like, if you, like, you can't take that to the store and say, but this dollar's worth a lot more if you could only know the story behind it, right? But to me and to my sister, that dollar is worth much more. And so it showed back up to me at Christmas not long ago. And then we'll cycle that. So there's meaning, there's story to that. You see what I'm saying? So what, the way the world values something is different than the way you might value something. So, so based on the riches of God and his mercy, Paul's going to appeal to us. What you know to be true about Jesus should be the most valuable thing you could ever imagine, even though the world may not understand the value in it. Does that make sense? They don't get it. The world doesn't understand it. They don't understand what we value. But that's a beautiful, beautiful thing that God's done. Okay, so he says, I appeal to you, therefore, based on what we know to be true, therefore, brothers, so he's talking to Christians, he's talking to believers, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we're going to break this down into four ideas, okay? Four ideas that help us understand commitment. This morning we're going to talk about commitment. As we go out of here, we're going to look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, and we're going to talk about what it is to be committed to the Lord. That's what he's talking about here. Therefore, I'm appealing to you to present yourselves. What's that mean? To commit yourselves. Commit yourselves to the Lord. Commit your sexuality to Jesus. Commit your relationships to Jesus. Commit what you watch and what you listen to and what you see. Commit it to the Lord. So we're going to talk about the basis of commitment. Now, to do that, we need to understand, and we've done this several times, going back to Friday night and then yesterday morning and then last night, all the sessions we've addressed, how the world has sort of a skewed or perverted view that it projects onto what God has done. And it starts early, doesn't it? It starts at a young age that you're, you've got this pressure to be in a relationship. You've got this pressure to experience certain things. Uh, I've told you about my little boy Moses, and uh, I call him Mo. His middle name's Dorsey. His initials are MD. So he's also known as Mad Dog, which fits really good. And I got a picture of Mo this morning. I want to tell you a quick story. Mo is in kindergarten. And tell me when the picture's up there. And Mo is... That's a, so that was a, we're going to the Christmas Eve service at my church. I went dressed about like I am right now. That's how we dress at my church. Mo was like, no, no, no. Mo's a man of silk. <laughs> and, uh, and so that's how Mo shows up. And so 
this guy, he's a little bit crazy, and, uh, and he's in kindergarten, and there's this little girl in his, in his class named Hadley, and her dad's a good friend of mine, and she is a fire plug. I've never met a six-year-old kid that's as crazy wild, like uh, she's a hoot, just one of those kids you just watch her, you know? Well, she, her and Moses have pledged their undying, lifelong love to each other. Well, we don't, we don't, we don't really allow that at age six, you know? Like, we're not, we're not going to do a wedding next weekend and have bridesmaids. Like, okay, so, so it's cute, it's funny, whatever. So we're at a, at a basketball game for my oldest boy at the high school, and Hadley and her parents are always there. Hadley's got an older sister named Reagan, and Reagan's always putting pressure on Moses to put the moves on Hadley. And so... Uh, at, at a recent basketball game, Reagan convinced Moses he needed to kiss Hadley on the ear. <laughs> on the ear. <laughs> First grade, kindergarten, you know, you, you're processing things. So word gets back to mama, to little. And so driving home from the game, well, Moses has just kissed a girl on the ear, so he's feeling pretty confident in his game. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He kissed her right High jaw, low earlobe. It was, it, he nailed it, you know, it was good stuff. And so he's, he's feeling confident, you know, he's a man with swagger anyway, as you can see. And so he's sitting in the car in something like this position, hands behind the head, feet propped on the seat in front of him, looking out the window. Little said, hey, Mo, she's driving. There's several other kids in the car. He's right here. She looks in the mirror. She says, I heard that you kissed Hadley on the ear at the game. Is that true? And he's looking out the window and he says, well, mama, sometimes you got a girlfriend and sometimes you do. <laughs> I got my hands full. Because <laughs> we have a view of relationships and dating that's a really high view. And, and as funny as that story is, and I've told it a million times and it makes me laugh, but the, the reality is, at a very young age in our culture, there's this pressure to have a boyfriend or girlfriend, isn't there? And y'all feel it right on up through high school. Like, it's almost like something's wrong with you if you're not in a relationship. It's just crazy pressure. Be with somebody. Be in a relationship. Have a relationship. And, but here's what you learn in those types of relationships. You learn a really low-level view of commitment. Because those relationships, people just get out of them all the time. In a relationship, out of a relationship. In a relationship, out of a relationship. Well, that ain't how commitment works. I told my wife, you will never get rid of me. If you leave me, I will follow you. You cannot keep me away. I'm committed, and I take commitment serious. This is a long time ago, 25 years ago. We got married. I said, not only am I committing my life to you, if you ever leave, I'm going with you. That kind of defeats the purpose of leaving. Exactly. But it makes the proof point of commitment. All right, I'm committed. All right, so we live in a world that sort of cultivates these relationships where committed for a day, uncommitted. You know, like, like Jesus is like, commit to something that is bigger than you. Commit to something that will outlast this season of your life. And that's what this passage is about. And so I want to give you four sort of characteristics of commitment. Okay, four characteristics of commitment that we see in this text. First, we see the basis or foundation of commitment. 
first we see the basis or the foundation of commitment. Well, what, what is that? The Bible teaches us that when we commit ourselves and our lives to Jesus first, then we can commit to other things, other relationships, other people. The, base, the basis of commitment or the foundation of commitment in this verse, in these two verses, is that it is not your determination. So, so you're, now keep this, think about this. The basis of your commitment to, to purity, for instance, is not your determination. In other words, you can't build, you don't commit to Jesus, you don't commit to purity and build that commitment on the foundation of your ability and determination to make sure it happens. Listen to what the verse says, the foundation of your commitment is. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Your commitment to holiness, your commitment to purity, your commitment to Jesus, your commitment to your future spouse is built on the foundation and the basis of the mercy that God's given you. In other words, because God's been so gracious, because Jesus died for you, because the things we looked at last night, because you've been bought with the price, because Jesus loves you enough to leave heaven, come to this world, die in your place, because Jesus is big enough to heal your brokenness, because Jesus is big enough to give you a new heart, because Jesus is powerful enough to cleanse you from unrighteousness, to give you a relationship with God the Father, to be your mediator, to be your advocate, to go before you, to come behind you, to sort of like encompass your life. Jesus, because he's all those things, because of that, you can commit to him. It's because of his strength, not yours. So the basis of your commitment to Jesus, the basis of your commitment to purity, the basis of my commitment to be faithful to my wife, to not look at pornography, to, to be faithful to my children, the basis of my commitment to not, not commit adultery, the basis of your commitment to not commit anything outside of the biblical context of sexual like experience in marriage is not because you can be determined. I'm determined not to do it. I'm going to win the day. I'm going to be pure. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to commit. It's not that. It's based on what Jesus has already done. What Jesus has the power to do in your life. That's the basis. That's beautiful. Second thing, second thing, we see the character of commitment, the character of commitment. What is character? It's like the, the characteristics, the character or, or the fiber, like the, like what it's made up of, you know? So the, the character of commitment is the second thing we see. And that is this, that commitment to Jesus is both total. It's twofold. The character of commitment is twofold. It is both total and it is logical. Well, let me explain that. The, the second thing here is that we see the character of commitment, and the character of commitment is both total and logical. Let me explain it. He says, he uses the word as a living sacrifice. Here's the way sacrifices worked back in the olden days before Jesus came into the world. They would put something on the altar, they would light it on fire, and they would burn it until it was completely gone. And the idea was that sacrifice would be completely consumed in an offering to God. God would consume the sacrifice completely. So there'd be nothing left of it. It's the idea that I completely commit my life to Jesus. It's total commitment. Commitment to Jesus is to you. In other words, you cannot halfway commit to Jesus. Total commitment. Complete and total commitment. 
It only makes sense that if you're going to commit to Jesus, that you do it 100%. It's like there's this wrong thinking, this wrong idea in the American church sometimes where people are like, yeah, I'm committed to Jesus. Like I'm stepping into this thing called Christianity. But they also then live sort of over here in the world. Talked about this last night. It's total commitment. There's no half-hearted commitment. Any, nowhere in the Bible is the, is the scripture going to say like, you should commit to Jesus like a little bit at a time. You should commit to Jesus some parts of your life. It's no, it's like a living sacrifice. God consumes every part of you with his holiness. He consumes every part of you as a sacrificial offering. You lay your life at the feet of Jesus. Total, total commitment. And the second characteristic of commitment is that it's logical. It says there, and I'm reading from what's called the English Standard Version. There are different translations of the Bible that we use in English. I prefer this one. And in this one it says, which is your spiritual worship. But there's a footnote at the bottom of the page that says, or your rational service. But the word literally means it's what's logical. It's the word we get the word logical from. So if you go to the original language this was written in, it's called Greek. Not modern Greek, it's a special kind of Greek that no longer really gets spoken. So if we go back to this ancient writing that was not in English, what it would have said is it would say, commit your life in total sacrifice to God as a living sacrifice because this is what's logical. This is what makes sense. Jesus gave himself for you. So it's only logical that you would then totally commit to him. It's kind of like in a marriage relationship. Like if, I, if, 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 if two people come together and, and I'm doing a wedding and I'm going to do this marriage and I'm going to do premarital counseling and we're going to sit down and, and we're going to talk through these things. And then there's a wedding day where we stand. One of my favorite things to do, by the way, is I love to do weddings. Most preachers and pastors will say, ah, oh, I dread weddings. I love it. I love it because of what it represents. There's people in the room right now. I see Tara Scott sitting right there. Did her wedding. We, that, Tara got married this past fall in September. September? In September. And it was an outside wedding. And right about the time we revved that sucker up, the bottom fell out. And it rained like Noah's flood. Literally, we needed an ark to get into. Poured, I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget it. The sermon went from like a 14-minute sermon to literally like a three-and-a-half-minute sermon because it was a monsoon. It's an awesome day. And on that day or any other wedding day, what if time for the vows and the wife waxes eloquent and she says her vows and and they've decided not to do traditional vows they're going to write their own vows and the wife says i commit my life to you my heart my life my soul my future my past all of my love all of my affection all of my will i want to be one with you i will be with you to death and it's a beautiful expression of vows let's push the ring on his finger and then it's his turn, and he, which usually guy goes first. But anyway, just stay with me in the story, okay? Don't judge. All right, so the dude's like, I'm going to give you this ring, and I'm going to be faithful to you most of the time. Okay, first off, as a preacher, I promise you I would choke slam that sucker in church. I'm not even exaggerating. And I can do it. Until I become old and decrepit and I'm getting there, but I still got it in me. And I think there'll be some Holy Spirit adrenaline. Well, so bam! What did you say? I ain't no normal preacher now. We're committing to something here. There ain't going to be no most of the time. <laughs> That'd be a funny wedding, wouldn't it? I'm sick of pow, clothesline that dude. If he said it, and then she was, if it was the other way around, I wouldn't do that to her. I'd be like, Nikki Smith, where are you at? 
Nikki Smith is the brick house. Nikki would pile drive that girl. Why? Because we expect total commitment by both people. It's only logical that on the wedding day when the commitment's happening, that it's a wholehearted commitment by both people, not by one and not the other. That's why it rips our hearts out when we hear of someone being unfaithful to their spouse. That's why it devastated my view of marriage when my parents split up because of infidelity. This is like, it's logical. The basis of commitment is, is that it's by the mercies of God. And the characteristics of commitment are that it's literally total commitment and it's only logical that it be that way. Does that make sense? It's only logical then, let's step out of marriage thing. It's only logical that that's how we commit our lives to God. Did Jesus 100% commit himself to us in going to the cross and dying for us? 100% y'all. There wasn't a point where Jesus was like, oh man, it's getting late. I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna bail on this cross deal. I've done the miracles. I did the whole baby in a manger bit. I was like growing as a kid and I endured temptation. Me and Satan banged it out in the wilderness and I smoked that sucker. I throttled him over that whole temptation thing. It's been a good day. I don't think I'm gonna do the cross thing. I, I, I'm, I'm not going through with this. I'm mean, like 80% fulfillment of prophecy. But that last 20% is a pretty big deal. Like 100%, that's what Jesus gave. 100%, that's what I commit on my wedding day. 100% is what we commit to Jesus, total, and that's the only thing that makes sense. It doesn't make sense to live halfway. If you're going to live half-hearted Christianity, get out now. Get out. Go do something else. Go serve your own flesh. Go serve, go be a chump, punk, slave to the world and its demands, and watch it ravage and pillage your life over the next four decades. Because that's what it'll do. But Jesus will give you completion and wholeness and purpose. And don't think that the decisions you make as a 14, 15, 16-year-old won't have an impact on you for the rest of your life. They will. So submit and commit to Jesus. 100%. 100%. Number three. Number three. Third characteristic of commitment. There are demands to my commitment to Jesus. In other words... When, when I commit to Jesus, God is making certain demands on my life. He's, he's telling me certain things that he expects from me. First, in this text, he says I'm not to conform to the world and its demands. He's like, don't do what the world tells you to do. You're bigger than that. You got Jesus in you. Don't, don't. This means I need to be careful about what is shaping the way I view things. Who I am, who God is, relationships, dating, marriage, sexuality, And what I'm pursuing with all my heart, all those things are shaped by outside influence. So what you watch, what you listen to, who you're daily surrounded by, your conversations, your social media, whose stories you follow on Instagram, who you communicate with through Snapchat, all of those things contribute to what shapes the way that you see all of this and you conform to that which shapes you. You Conform to it. Remember you're a little kid and you play with Play-Doh and you'd, you'd get those little kits those little things where you could make little figurines and different things out of play-doh what do you do you stick that play-doh in that little plastic thing and you squeeze it together and you tear away all of the excess remember what i'm talking about when you open it up it's whatever that thing is that you why because you conformed it to that thing don't press your mind into the world and let it cramp down and conform the way you think to the way it thinks don't do that what you see what you watch what you do what you think who you're surrounded with so that's that's the first the first Command is don't conform to the world's way of doing things. And the second one 
is to be transformed instead by the renewing of my mind. This is a more powerful thing because what the world does is sort of conforms you to itself. But he's saying now this word transform, the transformative process is something that's ongoing. In other words, every day God's renewing your mind, like giving you fresh perspective. This is where I've, I've gotten to experience now because I've been a Christian for over 20 years. I've been a Christian for about 26 years. So I get to experience that, man, 26 years into my Christian walk, God's still like giving me renewed thoughts and teaching me new things. And, I, and I, I'll read the scripture and get excited about something I read or get blown away. It's, I'm so thankful to the Lord that there's a depth to what he does in renewing us. God will renew the way you see things. If you've seen sexuality and relationship one way up until this point, God can renew that and change it. He'll give you a new perspective, a fresh perspective. Renew your mind. So how does that happen? It comes from spending time in God's word. And from setting my affection and my heart on the things of God. Jesus says in John 8, if I abide in his word, I'm his disciple. And he'll set me free through that. We need to be set free from the way the world thinks. And so, number three, is that there are demands to this life in committing ourselves to Jesus. And that's that we be not conformed to the world, but that we be transformed by having our minds renewed every day. Every day. Spend time in the word. Get to a point where if you miss that time in the Word, you feel, you feel like something's lacking, man. I, not that it devastates and changes your life and ruins you, but that you're like, man, I'm, that's like missing a meal when I'm really hungry, you know? Like, I need that. I need that. I need that Word, okay? And number four, fourth and final characteristic of commitment. We see the effects of, of, of genuine commitment and what it'll be. We see what the effects of genuine commitment will be. So we see the effects. Of, what's that mean? It means because I'm a Christian, because I commit to Jesus, and because the foundation of that commitment is his mercy to me and salvation and grace that comes to me, and because of that, and because it's total commitment, and it's logical to be all in, and because my mind is being renewed and I'm not being conformed to the world, because of all these things that are intact that we've now talked about, the effects of commitment to Jesus will be this. This is, this is really cool. So simple, but sometimes the most simple things are the most profound and powerful things. Here's the effect. If I get these things right, here's what will happen. Verse 2. That by testing, second half of verse 2, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know what? When it comes time for you to be in that relationship, that could potentially become the relationship. You know what I'm saying? The one. The one. One ring to rule them all. It's called the wedding ring. And you can be with a person. God ain't gonna make you be with somebody you think's ugly, by the way. I feel like if I commit to this whole idea of Christian purity, I'm gonna, God's gonna like curse me to be married to somebody that's unattractive. Whatever, he's going to get ugly anyway, eventually. No matter how attractive he is the day, I'll get hitched. <laughs> I saw a buddy of mine went to uh, the, the college basketball team I played on. I don't ever go to any of the, and Little played college basketball. We don't ever go to any like the alumni stuff. Hadn't been in 20 years, but I got a buddy. He was a roommate of mine, and, uh, and he, he, big old 6'9", power forward, and he sends me every year he goes to like the alumni weekend, and he sends me pictures of the team. And every year, have you ever heard of the prayer of Jabez? Prayer of Jabez, this thing that people used to pray, and it was, and it was like, a, it comes from a story in the Bible where this guy prayed that the Lord would enlarge his territory. 
And I feel like all the dudes that were on my team have been praying that prayer because God keeps enlarging their territory. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'm looking at these dudes, and there's this one guy, I won't say his name, but I remember he was a point guard or a shooting guard, and all the ladies thought he was like, he was like the ladies' man. And every year, that dude's just kind of, he's gotten fatter, and his hair's receded further, and he's gotten extra chins, and now he's just kind of this portly, frumpy dude that's like a middle-aged chubby pasty guy who apparently spends a lot of time indoors <laughs> and I'm like it's really funny man I remember like all the ladies were like after that dude he was the man look initial attraction will be there but there better be something deeper than physical attraction because everybody gets old most folks get chubby People, folks hair falls out turns gray I grow my beard out I had it I had it grown out I grow my beard out about every month and then I just trimmed I just cut it off Friday and like Santa Claus, it used to be jet black. Like, so the idea is that when it comes time to make that commitment, I'm not going to just commit to somebody based on surface things. The effects of committing this thing the way that this scripture has laid it out for us are that in the end, I will have an understanding of God's will for my life. And there's a confidence that comes with that that says this is not about how I've just only how I feel in a certain moment or how I have a physical attraction. It's much bigger and deeper and wider. It's, it's, there's, there's depth to it and I'll know God's will. Bottom line, the effects of commitment in this way is that I'll know the will of God for my life. See it right there at the end of verse two. You'll discern the will of God. What's good and acceptable and perfect. That word perfect means complete whole it's transformative it changes you god has a will and a purpose and it's perfect god doesn't make mistakes and so what he wants for you in relationship is that's god's deal and it's the right deal but we need to be in tune with that and understand it and the scripture says if we get commitment this way we will we'll understand it we'll link up with god's plan god's purpose god's will we'll understand it we'll get it and ultimately then what will happen is we'll live lives that are holy back there in the in the middle of verse 1, it says, holy and acceptable to God. What is holiness? It's this purifying, const like constantly purifying effect of being in a relationship with Jesus. It means I'm unstained and untainted by the world and its sin. I'm unstained and untainted by the sin I've committed in my own life. God cleanses me and separates me from that. The, the, the purifying effect of the sun, think of that. Like if you've got something that stinks and smells really bad, you hang it out in the, on the clothesline in the, in the sun for about a week, and the sun has a purifying effect that even like laundry detergent can't do. It has a, it's like the energy, the purifying effect of the sun that gives us oxygen and life. And like Jesus brings that to our life and purifies. And that's the way we get to live our lives. And we won't be perfect in and of ourselves, but we'll know the perfect will of God for our lives. So the challenge to you guys is to just commit. All in. It's what makes sense. It's good. Good stuff from the Bible. I'm going to pray and we're going to close with a song together.